0: Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor, and Pastor Charles Roberts.
1: Thanks for tuning in today. We have a topic that might not be as cheery as people sometimes wish it was. I'm talking about the promises of God. It is quite easy to Google promises of God and get a long list of very encouraging and uplifting perspectives on the Christian life, but a promise is a commitment to keep one's word, and the Bible is full of promises that are not all that positive if you are on the wrong side of obedience. So the question being posed today is this, do you really want God to keep? all his promises? Charles, I'll let you start off.
0: Well, I think the answer is, of course, yes, I do, as long as they're the ones that I like, you know, (laughs) Uh, and that's something missing, I think, from a lot of uh, Christian discussion and understanding of the topic of blessing and promise is the covenant structure in which God interacts with his people and has from the days of Adam and Eve. And of course, uh, folks in our camp have done stellar research and having this discussion about the covenantal nature of God's relationship to us because this is what is given to us in scripture and one of the places where we find this being talked about is in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and that whole chapter it's a presentation by Yahweh God to his people Israel the old covenant church and what she's telling them I will bless you for this obedience. Part of the the way that I'm relating to you and that we're interacting with each other is that you do what the law requires. This is my standard of living, and I've given this to you out of my love and concern for you as my people. And these blessings will—you won't be able to number them. But like everything else in life, and in terms of the covenant, there are penalties and there are consequences if you violate. The terms of the covenant and if you violate the law and you know we all maybe maybe not uh, explicitly but implicitly we would all say we want the blessing of having a a law abiding society we want the blessings of law and order but we don't want the consequences for ourselves if we break the law Um, nobody likes getting a speeding ticket uh, insofar as you live in a place where they actually give those out anymore (laughs) But, you know, we recognize that there are consequences for violating the law in in any sphere because every sphere has a law order. You are answerable to somebody's standard of right or wrong, and you just don't escape the positive side and the negative side of that. So uh, I think I was a little bit facetious at the beginning, but I think there's a certain point to it that oh yes, we we are ready for God to be good on his promises as long as we don't have to face the consequences of when we violate his law.
1: Right, so I think it's fair to say that a covenant is based on promises, that whatever mutual agreement there is, like when I go and I purchase a car and if I'm going to finance that car, I have an agreement, a covenant a uh, contract with the bank And the bank says, so long as you make your payments, we're good. But if you go a certain amount of time and don't make your payments, we're coming to get the car. Everybody loves the fact that they got the loan maybe, or maybe they wish they could pay cash, but let's say they're happy they got the loan. But they have signed an agreement that says, there's a promise here that if you don't do what you agreed to do, there will be consequences. So, You pointed out Deuteronomy 28. Leviticus 26 is similar to Deuteronomy 28. And the interesting part is if you were going to look at the list of blessings as opposed to the list of curses or judgments for failing to do it, the second category far outweighs the first numerically in terms of how God will judge But I did a search and I remember having books and you could, you know, send gift books, the promises of God. Those books and and those search results rarely tell you how God is going to keep the sanctions that he promised if obedience is not part of his people's response.
0: Yeah, that same correspondence uh, in terms of the, what numbers outweigh the other is, fa- is in Deuteronomy 28 as well, and it's quite striking. Uh, the first 15 verses, uh, 1 through 14 of Deuteronomy 28, deal with the covenant blessings that God's promising for obedience. But then once you get past verse 14, verses 15 to 68, <laughs> it's quite a stretch. Uh, it is all involved with, okay, this is what's going to happen if you violate the terms of the covenant. Now, in his commentary on this book, on Deuteronomy, Dr. Rasduni makes the point, and he's actually quoting uh, another scholar here, that these blessings are, first of all, national blessings, and that's very interesting and very significant. We always want to think that America's the city on the hill, and, you know, God bless America and all the rest of it, and that's fine, but we have to ask, do we deserve God's blessing? Have we, in fact, received God's blessing? But then secondly, uh, the nature of these promises are material. They are earthly. They're not some floating around in the air, misty kind of thing. And then thirdly, the promised blessings are conditional. And that's the key factor. They require faithfulness. And so the idea of, that some people like to circulate in some evangelical churches that – um there's this sort of unconditional nature of God's promises. Uh, well, uh, you know, there's certain parts of that. I mean, obviously God's love for his elect people is unconditional in that it's based prim- uh, exclusively on his choice to love them from the beginning, not on anything that they would do one or the other. But in terms of once you get the covenant people together, the elect people of God as a family, as a church, then they are obligated to be obedient to the terms of the covenant, and it is nothing but conditional. I don't see how anyone could read the first five books of the Bible at least and not come away with the realization that there's the if then, the conditional statement. So
1: exactly, and I don't know exactly where the faulty doctrine of unconditional love comes from. You you hear it, um, you know in a description of the prodigal son and the father receiving him unconditionally. Well, at least the the condition is the parable lays it out is he had to come back. The father didn't go out and kidnap him. So the, the son had to come back. So you would say, well, that was a condition of this because he specifically didn't go out to go find him. But the condition of even election was the condition that God chooses you. Right. So, I think what we've done is, um, if the word is, I forget, it's escaping me right now, but when we make man the center of things, anthropological ways of looking at it, it may seem to us God's love is unconditional because we mess up so much and we ask for forgiveness and he receives our confession and he cleanses us and forgives us. But the condition even of that is to confess your sin. So, It makes it so that people think they can get away with stuff. And that's why I think these devotional books on the promises of God um, says, when you feel this, do this. And when you feel depressed, do this. That we're going to hold God to what he said, but we're not going to hold ourselves to what he said we have to hold ourselves to. Uh,
0: To address a couple of things that you just said there, in my experience and observation, I think one of the sources of this non-biblical idea of unconditionality if i can put it that way comes from dispensationalism especially as it relates to the, the the Jews and their part in their that scheme of their eschatology because they're forever saying you know no no god's promise to israel is an unconditional promise that's simply not true but the fact is that promise was fulfilled i believe it's in the book of joshua chapter 21 uh, the Lord rehearses in that book, in that chapter, the promises that were made and how each of them was fulfilled, past tense. So uh, that, that's one. You'll still see people argue that today in terms of you know supporting the modern state of Israel because it's an unconditional covenant and, and this sort of thing. As um, I said, clearly that covenant has been set aside because the new Israel is the Church of Jesus Christ. But even there with the prodigal son parable that you referred to is another interesting aspect of the conditionality. Yes, he had to come back, but there's a missing element that is not generally known. And I know this is not a study in that parable, but I I think this is uh, applicable here. It would have been quite common in that village where that prodigal son came from and where his father and family lived that for him to demand his inheritance right up front the way that he did. Would have been an absolute scandal among the people, and they would have known clearly what he did, and they it, it would just been an, an, a non person for having done this to his father and If he dared show his face again in that village, he would have been attacked, he would have been stoned they, you know for him, for him to just stand outside the city limits and somebody see him there, knowing what his reputation was. He would have had a horrible time of it, and that's one of the missing elements about why the father ran to him, because he ran to him so that if anybody was going to do anything to attack his son, they were going to have to attack him too, so he was going to provide that fatherly covering to his son, so this is a very, this sort of thing still happens in many Middle Eastern villages today, uh, primarily among Arabic-speaking people, um, where you, you dishonor the name of the father or of the family and you, you will be made to pay the price for it physically. So there's an interesting aspect there that it was the father who was willing to take the conditional punishment for his son, which we know how that uh, that plays out. But yes, indeed, the, um, the pop evangelical, you know, um, inspirational booklets and uh, what was the one that was one popular a few years ago? The Prayer of Jabez or something like that. You know? Yes,
1: yes. It's yes.
0: it's all very positive. It's all, there's nothing here for you but blessing and the, the tenfold return and all the rest of it. But all of that divorced from its covenantal context.
1: Right. And we'd have to say outside what would be traditionally called reformed circles, there isn't a real understanding of the relationship between God and his church, the relationship between God and humanity is a covenant. And as, as Dr. Rush Dooney points out in many places that you, have, there's two kinds of covenant. There's covenants among equals and then there's covenants among unequals. And clearly God's covenant with humanity is a superior covenanting with an inferior because it's an act of grace to even enter into that covenant. And so I think that a lot is missed in terms of the laying out of what the judgments will be, because somehow or other, not that they could explain it, that well, we don't have to worry, that won't happen to us.
0: I think the, the covenant that most people would be most immediately familiar with is the marriage covenant. And we see these very principles present in the wording, the traditional wording of the marriage covenant, where there is a promise of blessing for faithfulness to the covenant. But then there's an implication of the shedding of blood till death do us part if the covenant is violated. So, um, that is the structure of these things. And one of the things that we find in the uh, decline of this understanding today is the fact that uh, the modern evangelical church which claims to believe the Bible and claims to be faithful, really sees man's choice as the final arbiter of all things, not God's choice. So if you have sort of a either an explicit or implicit Arminianism or humanism, then you're not going to be that concerned about what God may have said to, you know, some dusty Old Testament promise back in the book of Deuteronomy, because that doesn't apply to you. And I think that we have seen quite starkly the consequences of us uh, trying to assume that we are sovereign over all things and not God.
1: Right. So you mentioned Arminianism. For those who may not be familiar with the term, it's the idea that man chooses the relationship with God and God only responds when man initiates, as opposed to the position on election and traditionally in the Reformed faith or the Reformed circles that would say, God does all the initiating and we do the responding. One clearly puts the prerogative with God and the other puts the prerogative with man. But to go back to these promises, when God told Adam and Eve that the day they ate of that tree, they would surely die. If the charts that I look at, Adam died some 800 plus years after he sinned. But God still kept the promise because number one, Adam did physically die, but posterity inherited the death wish of Adam, the original sin. And so if we're looking at it in terms of, well, if God was going to do something, he would have done something immediately. Well, he did kick him out of the garden, but they still lived. They had kids. There was society and cultures were formed, but I think we put an artificial timetable on god's promises. What did he just forget that he said it?
0: well, and I think too, the realization that we are not following in the way that the Lord has ordained for his people that we get distracted and sidetracked by the the creeping um, humanism and unbiblical nature uh, of uh, a rebellious culture, we become blinded to the reality of both the both the blessings and the promises i mean everybody would rather have blessings than cursings but if you are clueless about how the blessings can come to you well you're inevitably going to be dealing with the latter and um it's interesting in the commentary on deuteronomy uh dr Rastuni, uh and talking about the second part he says Apart from God, the covenant breakers will find no ease and no peace, in referencing Deuteronomy 28, verse 65. Instead, he says, they will have a trembling heart and failing of eyes and sorrow of mind. And that phrase, a failing of the eyes, is very significant because it means that sin blinds these people, the covenant breakers, and they won't recognize the most obvious facts. They'll be self-blinded, as the way that he puts it. And that is so striking and is so uh, cogent to what we are dealing with right now to where you know it's like uh, a child who has not learned enough good sense not to put their hand on the burner on the stove uh, or somebody who doesn't know what a hammer is and they keep hitting themselves in the head with it you can't you figure this out this is not you're not supposed to do that with it but people who are blinded in part this is the way they behave and they keep uh, engaging these behaviors that continually pour God's curse down upon them. But by his grace, uh, some people figure this out and they realize, you know, we need to turn this back in the other direction because we don't want to live this way. And so the path to blessing, the path to prosperity, and the, the kingdom path is the path of obedience. And this is another thing that is a problem for the modern evangelical church, which is completely shut itself off from God's law as a valid and important part of our faith walk. Is What does it mean to be obedient to God? Is obedience an issue at all? I mean, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What does that look like? I'm not sure that the modern evangelical church, or certainly not the mainline Protestant churches, have an answer to that question.
1: I I think that what you're pointing out is that when Jesus said he came to have the blind see and the deaf hear and the people who couldn't walk to walk. Yes, that happened in a physical sense, but it happens much more that the scales come off our eyes and we get to see that this response to God brings blessing. This response to God brings cursing. And apart from the gift of the Holy spirit And the resolution of the conflict between God and man that was accomplished at Calvary. None of that would make sense. Like, why give a blind man eyes? What? So he can watch TV? So he can, you know, notice how shoddy his clothes are compared to other people? No, we're given eyes to see and ears to hear for service. And when you take the idea that I'm good because I'm saved, and I don't have to learn anything more than what I already know, you miss the point of the kingdom of God.
0: You know, and it's also very striking and coming on the heels as we have of Independence Day, which, by the way, if you'll allow me to digress for a moment, I was listening to somebody talking about this, and they were pointing out, why do we call it July 4th? Happy July 4th. I mean, for Christmas, we don't say happy December 25th. <laughs> you know, uh, th- why don't we mention specifically what we are observing if we do observe that? But coming on the heels of the Independence Day holiday, I don't often do this in my church, uh, sort of craft sermons around so-called secular holidays, but I did this that past Sunday. And one of the things in preparing the message that I shared uh, I went back and I researched some of the writings of the founding fathers, and it's just absolutely astounding when you read jo- John Adams, for example, or James Madison, those two in particular, especially the former. I mean, I could read you a quote from him, and you would think that R.J. Rushdoony wrote it. I mean, he, he says, you know, we've, we've, we've staked the whole future of our civilization, our American civilization on people governing themselves according to God's law and the Ten Commandments. That's literally what the man said. And, you know, prior to that, you had the, you know, the early pilgrims and the people who uh, engaged the Mayflower Compact. These people self-consciously saw themselves as covenant people seeking to move forward with the kingdom of God in a new place, in a new way, in a way that would not be compromised by various and sundry things that they left behind. Now, I think one of the challenges we face today, and again, this is dealing with this larger discussion of blessing and God keeping his promises is the recognition that whatever success or blessing these United States have enjoyed is because of that foundation. But, you know, uh, the, uh, the the money has run out of the account. You know, we, we can only go so far, uh, on the, stored up blessings of our forefathers and our ancestors who were at least making an attempt to be faithful. Once that's gone, then, you know, as um, as Dr. Rustuni puts it, the, the cursings come. They inevitably come. You cannot avoid them. And they fall definitely just as surely as the blessings came.
1: I'm going to extract some of the judgments or cursings, infertility, enslavement, Crop failure, drought, sickness, plagues. Now, modern world, modern America has probably experienced and is experiencing this in many ways. But because we have said, well, we're in this technologically advanced age, we sometimes default to the idea that we can overcome this particular problem with science or technology. But are we really saying that we can nullify the promises of God by some new development? And if science and technology is not informed by scripture, Charles, do you think we could say that we're attempting to nullify God's promises?
0: Either consciously or unconsciously. That is exactly what humanistic man tries to do and uh the 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 little laundry list that you started there um if i could expand on it something that dr rastuni wrote again in this commentary and he says what what begins as drought and sickness becomes epidemics disease disgrace and death and he's talking here about the the promised curses that god gives to the people of israel at that time if they don't keep the covenant he says every aspect of life is cursed mind and body economy and foreign relations Everything else, both blessings and curses, are total. Man wants a blurred and indistinct line between good and evil, whereas God's judgments in history move to clarify the lines that men seek to erase. So I think that, you know, okay, we can say on one level, the the heroin addict, uh, the person who lives a life of uh, libidinous dissipation, They're going to see the consequences, you know, health-wise, for example, and and living that kind of lifestyle. But I I think what otherwise well-intended Christians have not realized, that our failure to have a godly society where everything is brought under the supreme authority of God's law word in every area of life, that's just like being a heroin addict. It's, it's like compromising something where you, you, you can't continue to expect to do this type of activity and think that God is going to bless it. And I don't know about you and any of our listeners, but it just sends me up the wall when every, you know, Independence Day, July 4th, you always have these well-intended people who want to sing God bless America. And, you know, we're still the best country on the face of the earth. Excuse me. Do you realize what you're asking Almighty God to bless?
1: I think it goes back to the idea of just personal salvation as opposed to national salvation. So when Jesus, in the Great Commission, he says, disciple the nations, he doesn't say, get as many people as you can on the bus stop to heaven because we're just going to try to gather souls. No, he wants the nations. Psalm 2 says that the father is going to give the son the nations as an inheritance. So there are people who don't have that view who think, well, what's the point of being faithful? You know, I don't smoke, I don't chew, or I didn't fornicate, I didn't do whatever, and yet I still live in a country where inflation is running rampant and we have wicked people in charge. Well, it's not that God hasn't kept his promises, it's that you're experiencing God's promises Granted, you don't like them so much. So rather than point the finger and say it's the Democrats or it's the Republicans or it's this or it's the that, we have to say, what have we done that has removed God's blessing and then not go into the think that says, okay, well, I'll change if he changes. No, we change because it's the right thing to do, not putting a leash on God that says, okay, so I turned from this aspect of my life. Now you owe me this. He owes us nothing, but he does keep his promises.
0: That's exactly right. He owes us nothing. He keeps his promises. And as the commentary reference I just quoted emphasizes, those promises will come. They are inevitable. And again, whether it's blessing or cursing, you can expect, like the old TV series, you know, the guy said, you can take it to the bank. (laughs) This is is what's going to happen. And time again, people fail to realize, you know, okay, right, you're you're not doing these sort of uh, popular moral compromises, you know, bad language or fornicating or whatever, as you said. But what about, uh, to use the, the, the language that our friend Pastor Joe Moorcraft says, what about going out to vote and you throw the Bible outside the voting booth? You know, what are you saying to God when you do that? Um, And that's just one very visible area where I think that God's people have not kept covenant with him. And uh, that can lead us all into another different discussion. But I think this is a crucially important question to ask on this very topic. I mean, okay, if we can point to, say, everybody in a community who, quote, have gotten saved, unquote, but yet we're still seeing signs of God's curses on us, why? Where is that coming from? Well, maybe it's because there's something more than just personal salvation, as you said, and as Dr. Rastuni pointed out in the commentary, and as clear in Deuteronomy 28, the covenant blessings and curses are national. You know, God's people are a nation. They're not just a bunch of separate individuals, and families are a unit. Churches are a unit. Governments are a unit of people. So the idea of uh, this sort of blatant individualism that is so prevalent and has been in American culture Uh, This is not known in Scripture. You are born into a covenant family. Uh, You're not born as a separate individual. And so I think it's high time that Christians realize that all these things have come upon us in these recent years that God is trying to get our attention and that great blessing and hope lies in front of us if we will simply wake up and begin to obey God's law.
1: So I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard, that people say, okay, this is fine and dandy. This just applies to Christians. But what if you're a non-Christian? What about that? And it's this fallacious view that God has a different set of rules for Christians and non-Christians. I don't know about you, but whether or not somebody is of the Islamic faith or the Hindu faith or the Christian faith, we jump off a roof, we're going down. It doesn't matter if we believe we're not. The question is, what's true? And so if we hold to the fact that God's word is true, it's true for believers and non-believers. And the judgments of disobedience will be true for believers and unbelievers. And I can hear people going, wait a second. Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins. That's true. But he didn't dissolve the law. The law still is binding. And we're blessed to the degree that with the aid and the um, ability of the Holy Spirit to obey, that we obey. But he didn't create robots. It's not like I really want to disobey, but God's going to force me to obey. The difference in the true believer is that his heart of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh, and he is becoming more and more someone who wants to obey and wants to figure out, what will please his creator and savior.
0: Yeah, and to the first part of your, your statement there, the um, the Westminster Confession and the Catechisms point out that in Adam, all men sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. And so all people, regardless of you know what holy book they claim to believe or not believe, are in the same category. The only difference is that some of us uh, can point to the blessings of the Lord in opening our eyes to um, the reality of the situation and you know crying out for his mercy and uh, receiving it as He extends it to us, but th- the bigger issue is where do we go once we know about these things where, where w- once we realize we have been put back into a right relationship to the Lord, do we just sort of sit in a, in a uh, a pleasure chamber and just be feel good about ourselves and that the fact that the Lord loves us and have no regard for anything. No, that's not the biblical pattern. You know, we are to have dominion. The, the very thing that the Lord charged Adam and Eve with doing at the beginning, um, that is carried forward with the victory of Christ and it is echoed in the Lord's statement in Matthew 28 that we are to make the nations his disciples uh, because all authority has been given to him. And if Jesus has all authority, if he is king and Lord, then that means that Caesar is not. That means that uh, Hitler, Stalin, uh, in, any of the current crop of oligarchs and, and nut jobs who want to rule the world, they are not. And sooner or later, they will deal with the, their consequences. I was, I was having a discussion with a fellow minister just today. And one of the things that uh, I said to him was that one reason that we can be hopeful about the future, among others, is the fact that uh, the the people who have risen to uh, out of the shadows, as it were, to where we hear people's names being mentioned as a part of the overall malaise of our civilization today, who have bad designs on it, they're all part of organizations that are made up of people just like they are. And you can bet just as like a family, you have squabbles and churches and various clubs You know, somebody doesn't like so-and-so and, and, you know, he may be the big cheese on top right now, but you can bet that there's a guy standing in the wings who's going to do everything he can to subvert that guy. So uh, uh, this is across the board, and it it goes to what you were just saying, that it doesn't matter whether people are in the church or out of the church. We're all obligated uh, to obey God's word. And uh, again, to go back to the confession of faith that I subscribe to, it points out that the Ten Commandments... Uh, The law of God, as summarized in what we call the Ten Commandments, is a law forever binding on all humanity. Everyone is obligated to obey these ten rules and their expanded application in life.
1: So in actual fact, to whom much is given, much is required. The believer has a greater responsibility. I mean, he's going to be held to the same standards of life and death. However, because he knows, because he has the scripture that he supposedly reads and, and applies that he will be held to a higher standard. And that is why the scripture tells us that judgment begins in the house of the Lord is that we, God expects more of his children. And let's go back to the parable of the prodigal, the older brother who, you know, said, I didn't do half the stuff this guy does. He still is accountable. He's still in the mix of what's right and what's wrong. And so his father is pointing out to him that part of this deal is mercy when someone's repentant and you're not buying into that, obviously, because you think your righteousness is your own. And of course, there is parallels there to the religious leaders of the day. But when you think of the Sermon on the Mount and you think of the Beatitudes, the word blessed could easily be correctly translated as happy. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus outlines what makes us happy and fulfilled in him and all the rest of the admonitions within the Sermon on the Mount, we're given additional support to the promises that are contained throughout the Bible because he doesn't contradict anything that his word has said before.
0: and those Beatitudes and that section in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that is a perfect roadmap to pursuing and seeking to walk in the path of God's blessing. And Jesus simply lays out the way by which we can walk in that light of blessing and goodness. And like I said uh, earlier, nobody wants to, at least nobody in their right mind. I mean, obviously people who are in rebellion against God who, you know, who haven't figured these things out. And that's part of the part of the curse of people who are outside of God's covenant is they can't figure this out. They, they have no clue. They keep hitting themselves, help themselves in the head with that hammer. But insofar as someone recognizes, I don't want to live like this. Uh, the Lord doesn't leave us without guidance and without help and that help comes first of all in the power of his holy spirit to give us that desire to believe and to walk in that path you know but once we have been brought in union with christ uh we we have then the the ability to read by the power of the spirit and understand what the path of life really really is and so i think that you know if we can put a um, the the balance on it just like the god's word does you've got the blessing and you've got the cursing then let us all follow the path of obedience to the Lord. It's not easy, and it it is uh, there. There are a lot of stops along the way where we have to repent and seek forgiveness. But we don't just stay in that mea culpa state and not move anywhere forward. We keep moving, and so that too is a part of the blessing of God. Is the recognition that we we can receive forgiveness, we can move forward, and that at the the end of that path. Is the kingdom of God in its fullest that awaits fulfillment.
1: And I do think, Charles, that the tendency to eliminate the wrath of God and put the love of God with a modern common because I would say that the love of God includes the wrath of God, is that we have failed to read clear messages, even in the New Testament, when Jesus says, I never knew you that you didn't do what I told you to do. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, personally I gave a check to, you know, the local city team ministry. I helped feed the poor. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to represent me and don't wait for me to do it. I'm empowering you for you to do it. And so we have a bunch of people who probably like the idea that they'll be rescued as opposed to they're the special forces that God has left on the earth to carry out his will. Why give the church, the body of believers a commission and, and, and promise that you'll succeed. And we have this defeatist idea that says, you know, we'll be lucky if we lose.
0: And I don't know if you were alluding to it or not, but in Many modern conservative so-called Bible believing churches today the the rescue quote unquote is in fact the rapture you know right. that that 's what gets us out of this and that is a decidedly unbiblical perspective on the unfoldment of God's blessing and God's cursing you know that the structure of the covenant is meant to move god's people forward in time and in history toward the restoration of the creation and the the entire project that was to unfold with Adam and Eve. And Christ came and set that right, and now we pick up and move forward from there. So uh, this is another area that the, cur- the curse has been upon the church in embracing, you know, false teachings. It's interesting in uh, the book of Galatians, where Paul is enumerating the the things that characterize pagan living, you know, people who are outside the kingdom. You know, they're backbiters, they're liars, they're adulterers. He has this long list of things that don't characterize kingdom living. But then he says, now the people who, I'm paraphrasing slightly, who live according to kingdom standards, they practice love, peace, long-suffering. Those are the qualities. But you go back to the other one, and it's interesting, one of the the several things that characterize cursed living, and, and at least in the New King James Version, I think the King James Version is translated as heresies. So it's not just these physical things like you know the, the carnal sins r- related to sexual immorality and things such as that, but the 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 living according to the flesh also can consist of promoting and adhering to false teachings, and certainly the idea of you know that we'll be raptured off the face of the earth and we have no more responsibility than to th- throw the lifeline and get many people saved as possible because the boat's going to be caught up in the air and we'll all be okay. No, that's not the pattern according to God's law, and again, as far as God's people are concerned, the Lord is patient. The Lord is waiting on his people, regardless of where they go to church, to recognize the covenantal nature of his relationship to us, and that the path of blessing, the path of victory, is the path of obedience to his law word.
1: Somehow or other, we've made God a progressive parent who says, clean your room, He goes in and notices that his son has not cleaned his room. He says, I really want you to clean your room, but you can still go to the party even if you can't. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get you a bigger, better room, and I'm going to reward you for your disobedience. See, that's not really how they look at it, but they wouldn't live their life that way. The person who doesn't, or at least the person who doesn't do what he's supposed to do shouldn't be promoted, But this whole group mindset says we're going to be promoted, yet if we look at what God has commanded us to do, we haven't done it. I I don't think most people would practically live their life that way, but they expect God to.
0: And that goes back to what Dr. Rastuni was saying in the commentary uh, that men want the choice to be theirs. And I suppose there may be some listening to us who would say, well, you know, I don't remember hearing my pastor say X, Y, or Z about any of this. I mean, well, listen and look and observe as to who your leaders are and what they are saying. If they're leading you down the wrong path, if if this is totally unknown to you, get the book of Deuteronomy and read chapter 28 for yourself and see what God's word literally says about blessings and cursings. It's right there for any, anyone to read. Now, if you really want to be enterprising, I would encourage you to get the book, uh, the commentary in the series by Dr. Rastuni, or you can just simply go to Calcedon.edu and you can read it online for free. Read what he he says regarding chapter 28 of Deuteronomy and the, what was it, Leviticus 24? 26. 26. 26 uh, all these are available. It's time for God's people to wake up and to realize that he he has blessings in abundance to pour out on us, but it, 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 do, it doesn't come without a price, it, and that price is our obedience
1: right i think a lot of people will look at romans 828 as some sort of blank check god mm-hmm. works all things together for the good for those who love him and those who are the called according to his purpose and so what they say is doesn't matter what we do god's going to make it good but good for who right so when we talk about victory we really shouldn't be thinking we win the victory of the bible purports and promotes is that Christ wins. And if we're not on his side, then we have little reason to expect victory in time or eternity for ourselves, because if we're not acting as his living body. So if Christ is the head and this is what Christ wants, we don't have this errant elbow that's going off and doing its own thing. In other words, to be part of the body means to recognize who our head is and take every word that we read in scripture, whether it's in the first part that we call the old Testament or the new part that we call the new Testament, it's all a command word. This isn't like, okay, this is a suggestion. This is, if you feel like doing it, this one, I'm really not sure about, but I'll go ahead and write it down. Anyway, it's all a command word. And you need to ask yourself, and and this is something that's not easy to do, when it comes time to make a decision or to have a perspective on something, if the question being put before you is not, does this honor God? Is this, when I do this or fail to do this, am I acting in obedience? Life becomes simpler in one sense, but it doesn't mean there won't be challenges that follow.
0: And that... Uh, I think underlines the point that where we begin, what is the foundational fact about, for any and everything that we do, it should be to please the Lord according to his standard. And in in terms of wrapping up my part of this, I would just like to once again share something that Dr. Rustini says in the commentary on Deuteronomy. He says, because the universe is totally God's creation, and however fallen, it is still totally governed by him. The curses and the blessings are irresistible. And I think that we need to hear that more than once, because I think the tendency is for us to be negative and just talk, oh, are you talking about nothing but curses and all this sort of thing? But no, the emphasis is a perfect balance in scripture that the blessings are just as irresistible, and we should in working toward simple obedience to God's law, uh, it, it, we should become pleasantly surprised. Maybe not in reality, but the fact that, hey, look look at this. My family is prospering. My, my community is prospering. And, and oh, uh, yeah, that's because we're seeking consciously to live uh, according to God's law and God's standard.
1: The word irresistible is a great word because it says, no matter what you think, whether you're obedient to God's law or disobedient to God's law, you can't get away from God's law because the blessings and cursings are irresistible. And it's also repeated with this perspective that Paul says that the wages of sin is death. God pays the wages that he promised, but it doesn't just stop there. If we just stop with the wages of sin is death, then that's kind of a bummer. But, The gift of God is eternal life. So when we prosper, does it mean our bank account gets a bunch of more zeros? It could, but prosperity could mean harmonious relations with loved ones, seeing people come to an understanding of their responsibility to the law of God. And so that's how we should measure it. But ultimately speaking, God sets the rewards, God sets the penalties, and we'll be in better relationship to ourselves and others to the degree we say, that's what he said, and that's how we're going to live it out. Now, it's a challenge because when you start doing things right, it's not like the entire world receives you with joy and says, look, she's now obeying God and not being deceitful. Well, if you had a job that sort of, made you more successful dollars and cents wise by being deceitful you might lose that job if you're no longer willing to be deceitful so we have to as much as possible have a heavenly perspective on this that says he promises me he'll bless me he's got me covered but don't presume on the relationship make sure that we are living up to our part of the covenant
0: and i think that is uh uh, an excellent point on which to wind up our discussion. And so we hope that our listeners are eager for God to keep his promises.
1: Yes. And I'll say this I always say at the end, you know, if you have questions or suggestions or, or things of that nature, contact us at out of the question podcast at gmail.com. But I'm hoping that there are some people listening who will feel disquieted after hearing what we discussed. And says, well, what about this? And what about that? We really do hope that our discussions spur questions. And as you ask questions, is a good, the fact that you have, I should put it this way, the fact that you have questions is a good sign. If you have no questions, it means that you erroneously think you've got this all settled and you got it all figured out. But, uh, what we want to do is spur people on. So you don't necessarily have to ask us the questions, but find somebody who will understand the true nature of God's authority and sovereignty and help you move closer to how do I find out if there are areas of my life where I'm not doing what I should. So I'll leave you with that thought. Hopefully you'll join us again next time for another episode of the Out of the Question podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.